Like, I know my cameras, my cam- I dropped my camera too many times. It scrambles from time to time. No, but it was it was fine there forever, and then it started doing its squiggly thing. I got to turn it off. It just squeaked. It's like, so- it's like someone got a radar lock on me. Okay, that's probably that's what I equate when my screen goes off. Oh, there's a radar re- warning receiver. Yeah, it's like someone's like, hey, someone's got a lock on me. You don't. You're a fighter pilot. Yeah. Well. So do you like do you with your pilot title like former do you go former fighter pilot or are you like once a fighter pilot always a fighter pilot no i try to not even talk about it but if someone asks i'm i may f- uh i used to be i used to be like you you're know not even a former you're used to be oh <laughs> god what would your marketing guy say if you said used to yeah. be hey i used to be, and he'd be like, oh my no john you like, can't oh, say it that way no you, you were don't like do it you were you were maverick Maverick is who you were, John. That's what you're telling me you were Maverick. Yeah. yeah. It's like, even though I never landed on a boat, I did kind of <laughs> land on a boat. So that's how you Air Force guys say it. it's like, it's not even landing on an aircraft gear. So I had to land on a boat. Yeah. It's like, who would want to even do that? I would, but I wouldn't set, tell anybody that in public anyway. That, that just, I wouldn't acknowledge that. That would give them like something they do is cool, you know? And you wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't give that to them, you know? So as a former fighter pilot, how many times has Tom Cruise called you up for advice? Tom should have called me several times, but he hasn't. I, you know, he's kind of proud of his new airplanes that he has. So I doubt if yeah. he, he hasn't called me. I think he would if he knew I was, existed. But since he doesn't even know I exist, <laughs> I got to get my number to him first. Yeah. No, he looks pretty cool in his airplanes, huh? I mean, he's got a jet and he's got you know P fifty one, and I mean, he didn't, he, he, he didn't. And that's the other thing. In all his movies, he sat in the back seat of an F eighteen. Never flew an Air Force jet, and then they talk like there was no other Air Force out there that we don't even exist. They're Just... making a movie about fighter pilots, and they're using the Navy. <laughs> I mean, what's that? I mean, I, I don't know why you would make a, a fighter pilot movie about the, the Navy, but you know, I mean, they 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 they're not the Air Force. So, so my favorite analogy with Navy fighter pilots or pilots and Air Force. Yeah. I fly quite a bit for work and I travel around. And so is if you ever come in hard on a landing, like, and they're like, it kind of bounces you. The terminology is like, Oh, must be a Navy pilot. Yes, they do. They, and why did they say that Rob? <laughs> because they come in hard for that aircraft carrier landing, not yeah. for when they land on a boat. It's gotta be a very firm landing so that they don't bounce or don't go down, you know, the the runway very far because it's they got kind of a short runway there. It's not very long at all. But yeah, but they uh, Were you making you know, a short joke there? Yeah, and they just can't land. That's the problem. Is that, so when it's a bad one you, you always go, Hey, it must be a navy guy. But yeah. it yeah. I blame it on them all the time. Yeah, Navy pilots when they're flying commercial, like you know, for Southwest or whoever, should be handing out chiropractic business cards when they after they land. Like, hey, you know yeah. what? You should go see this guy. He's gonna help. You know, Dave's gonna fix your back. Yeah, one of the first times I was in the back seat, uh, what we call deadheading, or I was basically, I think, coming home. Oh yeah, it was because I was coming to Dayton. So I'm sitting in the back, commuting home from a three day trip, late at night. I mean, we got delayed. The weather's horrible. We come in and this guy just plants one. I mean, it just, I mean, it just, you know, sends you forward, jars your teeth, wakes you up. Like, what was that? And all of a sudden I hear the flight attendant get on and she goes, ladies and gentlemen, that was not the captain's fault. And that was not the first officer's fault. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the ass fault. Welcome to <laughs> <Dayton."> <laughs> 
I was like, whoa. And everybody was laughing. So then the boys open the door and throw it open. And they're all like going, oh, man, they're laughing at my landing. No, we're laughing at the flight center. But it, based on your landing, yes. <laughs> There's just no mercy in that stuff. You know, you, you, you land like 100 of them and you roll them on and everybody goes, are we here? And then you have one like that. It just, it just doesn't matter. You just it kills you. It kills it's the you. sound guy at a concert. Nobody knows he exists until something goes wrong. <laughs> You're loud. Like the here? mic's not working. They're like, or there's feedback and everyone's doing that shoulder turn. And you're there. Like if you ever run a soundboard, you're like, all of a sudden there's a thousand people looking at you. Like, I thought I had that plugged in. Like I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You never notice until you're noticed. And yeah, it's pretty bad. And then, yeah. you know, what do you say? You can't say anything. You feel like an idiot. And then you got to throw that door open and watch a hundred and some people go <laughs> laugh as they go off the airplane. Nice job. Like, are you, are your pilots competitive? Like if I walked by you and like, Oh my God, good landing. And you just be like that bastard. Yeah. It's, it's I'm going to wait till he's on my plane again and I'll show him. It's extremely competitive. You know, like the first one that gets the land, like you're on a three day trip. And so you decide to take the first one and then you land it and you roll it on and you're just like going, okay, buddy, there you go. That's the standard, you know, and then you bounce one in and you go, okay, so that sucked. He'll probably, and then he comes in and rolls his on and you're like, Oh my God, here we go. He, he landed really good. Now you're next one. You're really nervous. Cause it's like, I'm the boss. I got to land better than that. So, so how accurate are like flight simulators to what you guys do? Like when I crash into the ocean on accident, doing a flight simulator, like what's like, I got to imagine it's even tougher in real life. Or is it all automated now? You just go like, hey, fly to Denver, click. There's a lot of automation, and I can go fly to Denver, but you lose your skills if you do that too often. So I usually fly, you know, the first part of the flight, and I get bored when we get up at altitude. And altitude, I mean, you're just flying straight and level, and that's not difficult to do. Now, it's a little more sensitive, so you do have to be careful up there as far as moving the stick around a lot. But usually by that time, I'm done. I, I you know, I put on the autopilot. Well, then guess what? When we're coming down... I want to fly again. So by the time we start coming down, I click it off and I start flying around and keep your skills. Um, but there's times when it's really, really low. So you're talking zero, zero where you can't see anything or, you know, 50 feet type of stuff, visibility, then you're required to fly, uh, with three autopilots on and basically you're monitoring the thing. So you got three backups coming on some airplanes. Now the 737 that I flew at the end, actually when it got bad weather, we only could go down to 50 feet, but when it was bad, we got to fly it, hand fly it down, and that was really nice. And the reason why is because we had a HUD, and so the HUD was extremely um, accurate to be able to follow it and, and fly it down. So What's, what's got, a HUD? A HUD is a heads-up display. Okay. So it's uh, HUD, HUD, heads-up display. Some of my car, am I allowed to say this? My car now has one. I won't tell you what brand it is, but my car has a HUD to where it puts in there, you know, turn left and it's got my speed and it's usually red because I'm speeding. So it's supposed to be white, but it's almost always red. So that's your insurance. Yeah. Well, my wife talks about, you know, that it's starting to cost us way too much. So I got to quit getting tickets. Don't go to go. Don't don't go through Georgia. They're bad. <laughs> Every time I go through Georgia, I, I get a ticket, I swear. And I've, I have a story about that to where. I had two of them and I was actually a, a felon because I, my tickets were out. I had thrown them in the trash because I thought I paid them, but they actually send you a ticket. Okay. For speeding, which I paid okay. so I'm a check. Well, then a couple weeks later I get another one. Well, I throw it in the trash. Cause I go, 
already paid that. I didn't open it, didn't read it. I just saw it was from Georgia State thing, and I went, wow. Well, How much that, that actually was an addition called a super speedy ticket that they administratively send you if you're over a certain amount. And that's, you know, I was over 15, I think. So they sent me another one. So I was actually, but when I went through the second time, I got another ticket and he was like, you have an outstanding ticket. So we kind of like have a warrant for you to, so we're going to let you go, but you need to pay the last ticket. I'm like going, whatever. So they send me the new ticket and I get a second ticket. I go to throw it in the trash, go, this is what happened before. And I went, wait, what did he say? So I opened <laughs> up and. That's when I figure out. I do. Don't you think it'd be better, like, if the police officer, when they're giving you a ticket, kind of like have an iPad, like a Chick Fil A, be like, "Hey, here, do you have your membership? You scan your scan your membership. Hey, you're gonna get some rewards points on this one." <laughs> you gotta, gotta, I, like, I, I have serious either some sort of, you know, uh, stock in Georgia, or I should have some, you know, something, <laughs> you know, definitely awards points that I get special treatment. Hey, now you can go. Your speed limit today is eighty, not seventy. I should, you know, get that sort of points that I go through there. Jeez. Well, okay, going back to your fighter pilot, what's the most, like, eerie situation you've been up in the sky where you get that nervous, like, oh, no. Like, do you ever get nervous as a pilot, whether in your fighter pilot days or your commercial days, or you're just like, ooh, that was a little uneasy. Yeah, I well, when I first was starting out in the F-15, um, we had a, you had to have certain uh, things, uh, like you had to have a, enough practice doing something so every quarter you had to get like night flying you had to get night tankers where you went and got gas off a kc135 or kc10 oh, wow. so uh that was required well we didn't do a lot of night flying so it was kind of we stacked them all together when we did it it's because you have to switch the whole schedule around so when we did nights then you usually did it all week well i had i was a young lieutenant and uh, i was number two in a four ship and um i'm flying along and uh the uh, it was the fourth night so i'm getting comfortable with flying nights you know i hadn't done a lot of night flying but i'm i'm getting comfortable this is i'm going i'm cool i got this this is no problem so i'm flying on his wing thinking this is i'm too pretty cool you know looking over through my window at him going yeah i'm flying fingertip this is awesome which is about three feet spacing well then he kicks his rudder which is the back and it does this so his airplane does this and it that tells me to go to to uh, a tactical position. So when he does that, I'm supposed to at night because of my inner ear problems when you do things at night, I'm supposed to ease out to that thing. Well, Johnny didn't do that. Johnny, <laughs> Johnny went full pole er, er, and then parked it over there, okay? And I'm sitting there going, very comfortable. And the next thing I know, after a couple minutes of me flying out there in a tactical position, one says something with tone that, you know, when somebody speaks with your tone, you kind of recognize it right away. And he just goes, two, you got a problem? Now, me being who I am, went to key the mic and say, you know, like, no, I don't have a problem. Do you? Well, before I keyed the mic, I, something in my brain said, maybe you ought to check inside to see what it, what, what's going on in the airplane. You know, maybe you got fire or something, you know, light, something you're not recognizing. So I went, I go to, I'm still looking at him as I'm flying off him. And I take a quick half a second look in <laughs> and I realize instead of flying like this, I'm flying like this. <laughs> 90 That's degrees back, you know, with one wing up in the air, one wing pointed to the ground and this, and I'm looking out the top of the canopy. Now to fly like that, you have to, 
you would, normally wouldn't recognize that you have full top rudder, so your leg is totally pushed against the stop of the rudder to hold it up, the nose up, and you're looking at the top of the canopy versus the side of the canopy, and I didn't recognize any of that. That's how screwed up I was, okay? <laughs> so my head was telling me that was straight and level. No, isn't that though like why um, like some of these smaller like single engine like Cessnas 182s, why people do crash them though is like they get their bearings like in the fog or something so off that they don't know which way is even up. John F. Kennedy. Yeah. Yeah. He took off, got in the weather and his head told him something that, you know, he makes a turn. And then what happens is the inner ear fluid tilts and now tells you if you hold that turn long enough that that's straight and level. So when you roll out, every time you roll out, you feel like you're in a bank and you want to roll in. So you have to really rely on your instruments, which he didn't know how to read his instruments. So he ended up, taking it into a deeper bank and then actually stalled the airplane and ended up spinning it in the ground, killing him and a couple other people because he did not rely on his instruments. So what I did is, is the boss told me, Hey, I, I look in, I go, uh, yeah, I got, I'm, I'm got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so he puts me in trail and I lock on. So we're doing pretty good. We're in the weather, but when I drop back, I don't have to, you know, stay close to him. So I'm looking in the radar, but every time I take my eyes off my ADI in the radar lock, I try ADI, to turn. ADI, what was that? Oh, ADI. It's, it's your basically a uh, pilot instrument that tells you what up and down is oh, left okay. and right. So you're looking at the ADI. So it's, and when you, so when I'd look away at something like to check something, my hand would physically roll the airplane in to try to get back in to this position because my head says, this is now straight and level, pal. And I'm wow. like, and I look in and go, oh my God. You know, and I roll back and go, oh, take your eyes off of it. You know, oh my God, keep how on it. You're it so then how long does it take your, like the fluid in your ear to reset? I don't know that. So longer than it did I, than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so we're flying along and I'm thinking things are cool because I'm, you know, I'm doing pretty good now. Well, then we break out of the weather. And we rejoin on the tanker. So when you rejoin on a tanker, lead always goes down first, you know, underneath the tanker. And they drop the boom and plug him. And he flies and he's getting his gas. Well, they, he sends me up to the wing and he sends three and four up to the other wing. So three's on one wing, four's on three's wing. And I'm over there on the tanker's wing, flying fat, dumb and happy, thinking everything's good. Well, then the flying, tanker. Are you flying like semi-inverted again? I, no, I'm flying good now. So I'm <laughs> thinking my head's good. I'm, I'm back normal. Things are great. Well, the tanker goes into a, into the weather and does a 30 degree bank turn in the weather because he does a little circle as his route. That's okay. his tanker route. About, I don't know, minute and a half into that, three, who's on the wing watching me, looking down through the tanker at me, goes, two, you got a problem. <laughs> at this point, I'm like going, oh my God. And I look inside and again, exact same thing. I'm flying on the tanker. Nine degrees <laughs> back. And so I just roll out thinking I'm going to hit somebody because I just don't know what's going on with my head. I go full afterburner. So now it's just like, you know, it's going, it's moving. The airplane's moving. And I just put it in a steep climb to get away from everybody. And I could reach down and squawk emergency. So air traffic control knows I'm blowing through all kinds of altitudes and clear everybody out of the way. And then I level off when I think I'm about 5,000 feet from the tanker and I'm sitting up there just going, <laughs> Okay, you're going to be okay. Tell him you need mercy and tell him that you're going home. So I just put the INS point direct to base. Lee finds out that where I'm at and he rejoins on me. Now he follows me down. I go and land. But that was one time where I was really 
not very good as far as going, oh my God, what's wrong wow. with my head? I am so messed up. <laughs> so, and it, I thought I was fine, but it came right back as soon as I went in a bank and when the weather, my head was not correct still. So it took a while to wow. get it back. So, so what's interesting with that is like, like my dad taught me a story. My dad's a, he flew planes. He flew like the Cessna, the 182s. He told me a story. He goes, he goes, because he had his instructor's license, so I could actually sit in the left-hand seat. Oh, I'm like wow. 14, cool. 15 years old. Yeah. I remember it was a summer day. We're flying somewhere over Ohio. And, he, and we're, talk, we're talking. He goes, hey, just so you know, if you're ever flying at night and you lose mechanical, I'm going to teach you how to land. Because that's important. Right? If, if, yeah. You're, you know, you're like, look, I'm like, okay, good to know. He goes, all right, so what you do when you lose mechanical, turn off your lights. Start looking around for a place to land. Start on your approach. Start going down. As you're getting ready, you know, getting ready to land, turn your lights back on. If you don't like what you see, turn them off. <laughs> it won't hurt half as bad if you can't see it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't like what you see, turn them off. <laughs> oh, yeah, that works, Dad. Thanks. <laughs> nope, absolutely, it works. So, oh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, with your story and that sort of reminds me of what you're doing now. Is You're the founder of Hiswell Homes, which... The mental health organization helping people with, you know, the people that help people that have mental health issues and those that, that have the mental health and yeah. raising awareness of what mental health is. Right. So you're a problem solver. You've had to solve problems quick. You've been involved with this, like in the mental health area. Like, what got you started in this? Like, why did you go, like, there is a problem, there is a need, and we need to step in, you know, and help with that solution? Well, that's really, it goes back uh, to basically when I became a true Christian. I mean, I was uh, born and raised Catholic, so I knew there was a God, but it, it meant nothing to me as far as that relationship other than if, like that, if I had an emergency, I would break the glass, pull the handle, get somebody, you know, hey God, this one's yours. It's well beyond my capabilities which didn't happen a lot. So I didn't have a relationship with him all. But when um, some things in my life fell apart that I uh, turned to him and that relationship became critical to me, it became every day to me, it became something that I loved, wanted and, and grew in, then it became important to me to try to give back. And I happened to be in a situation where I was able to uh, I had I was trying to uh, donate some money to people and, and make uh, changes in people's lives, and I called an organization that had a great need. And uh, when I went down there and saw what they were doing, and uh, got a chance to see one of the homes uh, that they took me in, that I couldn't believe the, the actual how bad it was. I just was it, it just disgusted me. And it was pretty funny because the lady that took me down there all the way there, she's trying to warn me, well, don't get upset, John. I'm like, I'm not going to get upset. I'm good. She goes, no, I mean, seriously, these are pretty bad places. Uh, everybody I take into it gets really upset. I'm like, I'm good. We're going to be good. <laughs> so she pulls up to the house and she gets out on one side. I get out first. So I'm on the street side and uh, she just tells me going up to the house. So I go up to the house and the, the rails going up to the house are all wobbly and barely on and I go <laughs> grab the door handle and there's not even a door handle and I just look back at her like where are we going where are you taking me and she goes just knock it's it's bolted from inside and I go 
Okay, so I knock, and it takes three or four times before somebody ever gets to the, the door. Finally, somebody opens the door, and I walk in, and as soon as I walk in, the smell is just, I mean, it's unbelievable. And I just like, I just want to go back out of my car. And so I walk down the hallway. There's bedrooms on the side, and me being who I am, I'm friendly, and I want to go talk to everybody. So I say, hey, to the first couple, and I go to the, like the third room, and the guy's got a white sheet, and he's laying there, and he looks up to see who's coming, and I see little bed bugs on his sheet and I just like back out of the room and I go down and cause she's directing me, keep going, keep going. And she goes through the kitchen and the kitchen is just disgusting pans, bugs. It just, everything was dirty. And I was now starting to feel like I don't even want to get back in my car, but she took me down there to look at a, a, uh, she said she had a, a large hole in the dining room and wondered if I could fix it. I had told her I, couldn't fix it because I fly airplanes. That's all I do. And I do that sub well, you know, just sort of well. And so I said, but I could probably find somebody to do it. So we were going down there to look at that. And, um, it was amazing. I walk into the dining room and sure enough, we happened, it happened to be raining that day. So there was four buckets and trying to catch the water dripping from a, where it looked like part of the ceiling had fallen in and they wow. were there. And, um, she again says, so what do you think? And I go, well, what I think is I'm not fixing that hole because this place needs condemned. It, it, it's just it's a disaster. I go, I can't believe it's passing state inspections. I go, somebody needs to close this place. It's, it's, just, it's, it's unbelievable. I said, my brother runs brand new nursing homes and he gets written up all the time for little stuff and they try to close him. It's like, I don't know how this place is even operating. And she goes, well, you could close it. That's a really good deal. I did 20 years ago. I called up. I got the news media involved. I got everybody upset. And I got a place closed. And in that winter, when someone didn't get placed out of the home, they lived under the bridge and they froze to death. Oh, so God. she turned to me and said, it's easy to close these places, John. You got to find a better way. And I have no idea why I said it, but I turned down because she's only about chest high. And I go, well, I'll find a better way. And so that's what got me started was me saying that to her and me seeing the situation. Once you see that situation, I just didn't feel like I could just let it go anymore. I knew about it. So I felt like I was needed to do it and was called to do something about it. So that's how I got involved. That's amazing. Then over the years, you've run a few facilities and then what you're doing now with prescription for wholeness is you're taking what you've learned with uh, the, in, the, the physical homes and helping move that online to build an online community where you can reach more people. Yeah, for, it's really a two uh, part thing, but definitely ARCs for wholeness uh, after 10 years of trying to figure out how to do that. We ran some homes for people. We uh, first of all started out just trying to support uh, for-profit homes, go in with our support and our, our people to try to help out. And we saw things with our support and especially our money support that I wasn't exactly uh, I didn't think they were doing it appropriate. I, I felt like it was more going into pockets versus for the people and the homes themselves. And so we decided to finally try to get our own. But every time we went to do that, the cost to do that, to get a home, rehab it, and sustain it was almost impossible to do. And now with COVID, it literally, I don't think you can do it without, you know, great support of something, some sort of mechanism to be able to stay in those homes. So what we're doing is we came up with a, a an idea that we think RX for wholeness is our 10 years of developing and trying all kinds of different things to figure out how to help these people 
that uh, are on the low end of the, the spectrum as far as functionality and receiving help. So these individuals get like 35 bucks a day. They live in the streets or in deplorable homes and 35 to maybe, I think it may be up to even 40% of the people in prison have nothing more than a mental health condition. So what we're trying to do is change all that. And the way we're gonna change it is Rx for Wholeness is a uh, an app, an online platform that has numerous capabilities uh, that we think they've asked for. We've surveyed and talked to people that uh, either are their caregivers or the people that have suffered themselves or advocates. And we think what we have is a supportive online community that basically community is a huge part of it because they, they want some place where they can feel like they belong and feel like they can share things without the shame and guilt and stigma that goes with mental health. So we've developed that platform for that, but we also have on there resources and other people that can help them and our training is on there. So we've built a platform that we think is specifically for people who struggle with mental health and mental health conditions and those that love them and care for them. And so we think that is the way to do what we wanna do, which is we can help all those people. And then eventually what we like to do is take those revenue streams we build from advertising, sponsorships, training, merchandise, all this stuff, and reach down and now start building the homes. But the key is Rx for Wholeness is what we would say is a prescription to be able to learn how to manage your life better so that we can be that gap between the psychiatrist and the specialized care. And we have lived experience care and from somebody that can't get in to see anybody. And we hope to keep people alive and keep them stable enough to get there if they need to. Or once they get the medicine and help them to get to a certain level, we can then take them and keep them at a better level, which we call wholeness or, you know, basically abundant life is what we're trying to give these people. Learn how to thrive versus barely surviving like a lot of them are. And some of them aren't even doing that. They commit suicide rates are skyrocketing. So that's what it's for. No, that's, a, that's amazing that you're doing that. And I appreciate what you're doing. So John, former fighter pilot, or what was the other? I used to be a pilot. I used to be. I used to be a pilot. No, you're a former fighter pilot. It sounds better. Okay. Okay, I'll try to use that for now. Founder of Hiswell Homes and now Prescription for Wholeness or RX for Wholeness. Yep. So we appreciate what you're doing. Let us know how we can help. And we, thanks for sharing your story with us. Oh, you're welcome. It was fun, Rob. We'd do it again anytime. All right. Ab absolutely. Oh, and I'm going to listen to your podcast too. All right. You do that. It's right. a good I'll podcast. Watch. I have a lot of guests on. Maybe I should bring you on. Oh, I don't know anything about mental health to help you out. I know, but sure. it, it still would be fun. <laughs> it'd be fun. There'd be no, there'd be no. It, Nobody would watch it, but me and you would have fun. <laughs> it, it'd be more mental than health. That's for sure. <laughs> they might say, hey, you guys should start the program. You guys should buy that doing well. Yes. Have you signed up for this uh, RX for Wholeness? Like, I think that's why the RX for Wholeness is so helpful is because they know it helps me. It keeps me fairly stable. What is it, what's the saying where the psychiatrist is the worst to take their own advice or something? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, most of it is just I love, uh, what was it, Bob Newhart. I always think of him when I think of mental health or need to, when I need to change something. And he's, his big, big pitch was always, stop it. Just stop it. <laughs> our, our program's a little more advanced than that, okay? More than just, I'm going to click on one of the programs. Just, can you, just stop it. Just, oh, okay. I think I should put that on the, the beginning of one of them. <laughs> this Here's is the, the whole thing. Get, this the demo write one. this down. Get a pay. You, I don't want you to forget it, so it's hard. It's, it's pretty complex. Stop it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
No, it reminds me when my wife and I, my wife and I are in a discussion, and I just t tell her to calm down. Now yeah, that goes over. Great. Oh yeah, with me too. Somebody say calm down. I'm like, oh okay. <laughs> so you don't say John that. Hitchens, his Will Holmes prescription for wholeness. Thank you so much for the time. All right, bud. See you, and thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Take Bye. care. We'll do it again. All right.